0: Live in a money pit. Money pit. If your basement needs a pump all your place looks like a dump. Live in a money pit. money pit. Pick up the telephone. Fix up your home sweet home. I'm calling 888
1: money pit. The money
2: pit is presented by LL Flooring, Jaws, and Bank of America. Now here are Tom and Leslie. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler.
3: And I'm Leslie Segretti.
2: And we are so happy to be here with you today, helping you improve your home, improve your space inside and out, up and down, whatever area that you'd like to step up. We're here to give you a hand, to give you some guidance, to be your coach, to be your uh, enthusiast, to give you some skills that maybe you didn't have, or maybe you were afraid to do the project, didn't know where to begin. Maybe you're just totally frustrated and need to just talk it out. We're both certified in home improvement therapy, right, Leslie? So <laughs> so we can handle those sensitive conversations as well. But whatever you're you're working on, we would love to give you a hand. There's a couple of ways to get in touch with us. You can post your questions at moneypit.com. Dot com you can also uh, reach out to us by calling us at one eight 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 888 money pit or head on over to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the money pit and uh, and comment your question there coming up on today's show if your walls are showing cracks or holes or the dreaded nail pops where the nails look like they're falling right out of the wall, we're going to have some tips to get them back in shape once and for all. We're going to show you how to make these repairs so they don't happen again, because it's kind of a deja vu thing that you make it once, and then, you know, weeks or months later or the following heating season, it opens up again. We're going to tell you how to stop the cycle and get them fixed.
3: And if you're tired of shoveling after every storm, a snowblower can do it for you, but they're not one size fits all. We're going to tell you how to choose the best snowblower for your job.
2: And we're moving into that part of the year opposite the summer cooling season. Uh, This winter heating season is when we start to see spikes in electric bills. But there are actually a few things that you can do this time of year that can reduce those bills rather dramatically. And we're going to go through that checklist in today's smart spending tip.
3: Plus, are you hoping to see some tools under the tree this season? Well, we have the Holiday Home Decor Giveaway going on right now at MoneyPit.com. It's presented by Arrow Fastener, and they've hooked us up with a dozen sets of tools worth over 125 bucks each to give away to a lucky dozen Money Pit listeners. It includes the new P21 Plier Stapler. It's perfect for all of those holiday gift bags.
2: Check it out at MoneyPit.com sweepstakes. Let's get to it. Leslie, who's first?
3: All right. Heading out to Tennessee, we've got Gwen on the line. What is going on at your money pit?
0: My water heater um, had the element we thought had burned out. And so I had someone come and look at it, was going to replace the element. And he said, well, it's clogged up. And he um, couldn't get it unclogged. And he said, we're going to have to just pull this heater out and, and drain it, turn it on its side. And what came out of the water heater was a gelatinous whatever
2: it was <laughs> let's call it by its technical name gunk
0: yeah gunk was a good <laughs> word and but i mean it was a lot of it and it wouldn't mm-hmm. he couldn't get it out until he turned the water heater over on its side mm. and turned it around and it it was liquid and then it was just like this gel stuff yeah. and so okay. um Anyway, I have a uh, water system, a Connecticut water system, okay. and um, and so my thinking is okay. I'm on a well. I should have said that if yeah. water is coming from my well through my water system, that's supposed to be filtering everything right. <laughs> before it comes into the house. You know, the Connecticut people don't know what it is. He first yeah. thought it was white slime, but they checked all of my. Um, fixtures, commodes and everything and said no, Mm -hmm. it's not white slime. But he couldn't he didn't know what it was, so he just hasn't gotten back to me. And Uh, I wondered if you all had heard of that.
2: No, but it sounds to me before you even told me that you had run well water, I kinda knew what it was. I think it's hard water. And I think what you're seeing are minerals mineral deposits that are settling to the bottom of the of the water heater. What kind of water heater is this? Is it electric or gas? It's electric Okay, so a lot of that stuff just settles down the bottom, and I and what happens is sometimes in a gas water heater especially, it ends up making it very inefficient because the gas heat doesn't get through all that stuff as, as efficiently. How old is this water heater?
0: Um, it was only about five years old,
2: okay.
1: and
0: actually what I did was rep- the contractor said I would be cheaper, it, I would be saving more money if I just got a new water heater. Uh-huh. instead of him taking the time to try and get that stuff out of the one that yeah. I had and so I bought right. another one. this was last year. Okay. And um and so even and he told me I need to drain it, you know, like right. every six months.
2: Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. You do need to drain it. So you gotta drain uh at the bottom and you got a little little valve there. So you hook up a like a garden hose to it. And remember it's gonna be hot so I would even maybe suggest turning the water Heater off. You can turn off the breaker at your main panel, uh, maybe Uh you know at night, and in the morning you can drain it, or whenever, or turn it off in the morning and at night you can drain it, and then just open that valve up and let the water flow. And if you do it every six months, it's going to wash away all any minerals that are that are stuck down there. It would be worth uh, having a look also at the water treatment system to make sure the water softener portion of that is working correctly, because I think with all those mineral deposits, probably more hard water is getting through than than should. But if if you flush it every six months like that, I don't think this is going to happen again. I think you were just looking at five years of buildup. But that,
0: with it being hard water, that would make it that jelly-type texture?
2: Yeah, because it's it's minerals and it's mixing with water and it's going to sort of stick together. So, yeah, it can get gunky like that.
0: Okay, good. Well, I, I hope that's all it is. It's, but, you know, you would think that the people who um, sold me the water system would would think of the hard water
2: well you would hope but you know here's here's something that you can do also you can why don't you just take a water sample and send it off to a testing lab you can find one online or find one in the area don't use the water company to test don't use the Connecticut to test get an independent test and this way you'll know you know if that system is working really working properly and filtering out all the contaminants
0: good idea i will do that here i enjoy your show
2: you got it gwen have a great day all right, heading to New
3: York, where we've got Ross on the line. What's going on at your money pit?
2: We
4: bought the house. There had been prior leaking uh, in the cellar underneath a cellar window. Right. I, I fixed the problem with a new window and had it properly installed. But years later, there's still the, the staining and the, the mildew stain that's on the on the concrete blocks below that window. Okay. I want to clean it and prep it to paint. The blocks are still in relatively good shape. Uh, but I just want to know what's the the best process and the best product to properly clean that wall and prep it for painting.
2: So first of all, Ross, the uh, the window that was leaking is this area still damp? Do you think that there's any moisture that's getting into that area under the window? Because it may not be coming from the window; it could be coming right through the wall. You know,
4: we had an actual process done. Not only was were the windows re- replaced, just as normal upgrade. But we had a process um, by a basement waterproofing company, where they, every two feet on the outside of the building, they um, bored down through the dirt all the way to the foundation, and then they ejected a liquid bentonite. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard of that process, but the the liquid bentonite is uh, uh, kind of like a like a kitty litter almost. But when when it gets injected near or into concrete block, it um, it gets into the block and then it uh, it expands like kitty litter would expand, and uh, that process completely. Dried
2: up the basement. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, listen. I would just say to you that the reason most basements leak is because of a problem with exterior drainage. So make sure your gutters are clean, your downspouts are extended, and your soil slopes away from the house. Now, aside from that, removing these stains is not that big of a deal. Usually, what you're seeing is efflorescence. That's the mineral salts that are left when uh the water evaporates that gets in and then it dries out so if it's not an active leak you just have these stains i think frankly all you got to do is wire brush those walls to get rid of that loose stuff usually it's a white grayish powder kind of a thing that's stuck if it's on block it's not mold it's salts and so once you get that clear then you can apply a uh a concrete block paint to that surface and you should be good to go
4: the dream is has uh, been completely taken care of. There's there's gutters, there's downspouts. There's it slopes away from the house. Everything is check, check, check. Okay, good. The stains that are there are definitely a a darker blackish mildewy old stain that just needs to mm-hmm. um, that's left over from one that was. You know, a, a moist, a consistent moisture problem there.
2: Right. Yeah, but it's not going to be mold or mildew because you need a food source for that. And you're you have a masonry surface there, so you don't have a food source. If it was drywall, I'd be more concerned. But as long as it's dry, then it's not active. I would just, like I say, brush it, wire brush it, just to make sure any loose stuff is off, and then you can paint right over that. You should be good.
4: Okay. Terrific. Thanks very much.
2: You're welcome, Russ. Good luck with that project. Thanks very so much for calling the Money Pit. Just go to Aquatrue.com. That's dot com, and enter code MONEYPIT at checkout. That's 20% off any Aquatrue water purifier when you go to Aquatrue.com and use promo code M-O-N-E-Y-P-I-T. MONEYPIT. Well, have you guys noticed cracks or holes showing up seemingly out of nowhere in your walls? They weren't there the day before and then all of a sudden, wham, there they are. It is actually pretty typical especially this time of year, because once that heating system gets going, it's because the walls sort of dry out and shrink, and then you start seeing the cracks.
3: Yeah, so here's a really great way that you can handle both. So first, let's talk about those nail pops. Now, these happen when a nail gets loose and then starts to back itself out of the drywall. So to fix it, you simply want to tap it in and drive a new nail right next to it. You want to make sure that you cover the head of the old nail with the new one, then spackle the area, smooth it, and allow it to dry really well. And once it's dry, you can sand it and then touch up that area.
2: Now, here's how to handle those bigger and very annoying cracks. The best way to fix either a wall or a ceiling crack is to use a strong perforated drywall tape. This kind of tape has little holes in it, sometimes squares, almost looks like a bit of netting. Sometimes it has an adhesive so it sticks until you get to put the drywall uh, spackle over it. But you apply this first to kind of bridge the gap in the crack. And then you want to trowel on three thin layers of spackle, as thin as you can, over that uh, netted drywall tape. And then you want to sand In between each layer and on the final one you're going to want to prime it and then paint it now it's important that you don't skip the primer step because if you do you're going to find out that even if it's the exact same color paint as you had on the rest of the ceiling it's not going to look the same so that particular type of drywall tape will stop those cracks from showing up once again a lot of folks just try to spackle them and paint over but then that just continues to open up if you put the tape over it that will stop the crack from moving again and you'll be good to go for uh, the duration. That's not to say you won't find new cracks opening up somewhere else, but (laughs) at least you won't be fixing the same ones over and over and over again.
1: All right, we've got Gail on the line with a heating question. You know, I have a real old house, like 1904, and I do have some chimneys in it, you know, with flues. And so I had thought I would use a chimney vent for the gas uh, line, but that I would probably have to put a liner in it, like a steel liner, and somebody said that there was another alternative, and that was to put a power vent, something across the ceiling of the basement and out a window, and not have to use a chimney So, as a vent. So I wondered what your thoughts were on that.
2: Well, listen, lining the chimney is actually not that big of a deal for, uh, to convert it to use uh, as a gas vent because what you do is you drop a stainless steel liner from the top right down. It kind of looks, it's like, it looks like a stainless steel version of a dryer hose, if that makes sense. It's it's kind of like expands like that and it gets terminated at the top and then sections are added so that it goes all the way down the bottom and it comes right out the side of the chimney and you hook it up. So it's really not a big deal for uh, a furnace. Company or HVAC company to to do that, I suspect that adding this power vent is probably a lot more work and more money and basically what that is is a fan that has to run all the time and it would suck the gases off the furnace and then you know run them sort of horizontally against gravity because it 's a fan and push them out the side of the house not only are you 're going to have a motor to run all that time you 're going to have a vent that goes across the ceiling of the basement and you 're going to have a vent that comes out the side of the wall. not the right way to do it, I would line the chimney. Um, with a stainless steel flue from the top to the bottom and, and go with it from there.
1: Okay, and I guess one of the questions, I do have two flues coming up on that one chimney. Right now I have a hot water, gas hot water heater, which just goes out without, it, without a stainless lining. But I guess they could put... a. Uh, a large enough lining to line both flues.
2: Well, actually you would probably bring the gas water heater flue and the boiler flue or furnace flue together and then run them up the stainless steel because honestly, you're really not supposed to be using one of those old flues just for a gas water heater because what happens is in the winter time they can get really cold and they can force condensation uh, inside of those hot warm gases that are going up, and that can actually reverse the draft and and basically make that water heater vent back into the house until the chimney warms up. So you're better off having that one flue lined and then running them both up through that. You basically bring them together, and then you bring them into the chimney and on up. Okay?
1: All right. Thank you so much.
2: You're welcome, Gail. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit.
3: Bill, you've got the Money Pit. How can we help you with your flooring project?
4: I bought a house like uh, three years ago. And I, I hired these people to come and you know strip my uh, the hardwood floors in my uh, living room, and they never did a did a good job, and I can I, I can never get a hold of them. And uh, the hardwood, uh, the hard wood uh, squeaks. I want to redo it. What is the best um, uh, the best way to you know uh, refinish it? Okay,
2: so the issue is that you want them to be. To stop squeaking, or you want to refinish it, or kind of both? Stop uh, squeaking, and also I want to uh, refinish them. Okay, so there's a couple of things that you can do. First of all, because uh, you're doing the refinishing and the repair at the same time, um, that actually makes this a little bit easier But what you're going to want to do is deal with the squeaking issue first. And the reason that that happens is usually because of movement. If you can identify those sections of the floor that are the loudest, they're probably going to have the most movement. Then simply what you want to do is re-secure those floorboards to the floor. So you can do that with nails. If you nail through the hardwood board into the floor joist below at a slight angle with a nail that's kind of rough, like a galvanized nail. You're going to have to pilot that hole first, put a small drill hole in first, and then drill nail right through the hole because you can't nail hardwood directly. The nail will bend, the board will split. And ones that are really leak, you can actually use a trim screw, which is a long, thin screw with a tiny head and it's a little bit bigger than a nail. That's even a better way to do it because it, it, the screws are really solid and they won't pull back out again. So I would just tighten up the boards as best you can in the loudest areas. You're never going to get them, get them all, so don't try. And then you can have um, your floor refinishers sand it and refinish it. And I would definitely have the sanding done professionally. I would not do this myself because the tools are very rugged. And if you don't use them every day, you're going to damage your floor. So I would have it completely sanded and then refinished. Does that make sense? Thank you. I appreciate it very much. All right. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Well, if you've got some holiday projects planned, but no tools to get them done, we can fix that too, because right now we have the Arrow Fastener Holiday Home Decor Giveaway going on at MoneyPit.com. We're going to choose 12 winners, and each winner is going to get a full set of tools from Arrow Fastener. Each set's worth over $125 that can help with pretty much all your holiday home improvement, decor, and craft projects. There's four main tools in each package. You get the wire stapler, you get the cordless electric staple gun, you get the professional high temperature glue gun, and you get the new plier stapler, the P21, which is great for holiday gift bags that you may be filling up with treats and cookies and stuff like that to give to family and friends, plus a supply of glue sticks and staples. All of that going out to each of the 12 winners. You can enter today. In fact, you can enter once a day at moneypit.com slash sweepstakes, com slash sweepstakes.
3: Paula in Ohio is on the line. Paula, what can we do for you today? Me and my husband have an older house.
0: that was built like in nineteen fifty and the woodwork through the whole house, it's all interconnected, the door frames, everything, and we want to sell the house. So we're trying to find what would be the best and the cheapest solution to fixing that woodwork without having to replace it all.
2: So what's going on with the woodwork? Uh, is it just worn? Is it—is it just heavily painted? I mean, what what exactly is your problem with your woodwork?
0: Yeah, it's worn. It's like, I think, Somebody that lived there before us had a dog that oh, so some of us been <laughs> chewed on and and it's like we would replace them. You can't replace parts of it because you can't get the stain to match and we don't really know what to do to make it look better
1: to get it ready to sell.
2: So is this molding kind of like fancy molding in terms of uh, if you were to fill in some of the grooves and the digs in it, could you paint it and have it look halfway decent or do you think you have to replace it?
0: I think some of it we'd have to replace it.
2: Okay. Well, I mean, I think that's kind of what you're up against. If it's painted now you're going to probably want to replace it with a paint grade molding. And um, I think if the areas that are really damaged, you mentioned dog damage, I mean, if it's chewed on, then you may just want to pull that piece off and replace it. But, I mean, a, a coat of paint can do wonders with something like that. I don't know if there's a way to kind of decorate around it, and it would be an awful lot of work to replace all that trim. Certainly a possibility, but it's a big job to pull all that trim off and, and, and replace it. So I think all, all you can really hope to do at this point is to clean it up, Prime it because that will give you a better paint finish um and then just put a top coat of paint on and kind of call it a day. Leslie, do you have any other suggestions or do you think that's about it?
3: No, I really think, you know, priming it and painting it really is the best solution because once you get into replacing all of the trim work, I mean, first of all, it's a tremendous expense and it's a lot of work and you end up cutting and mitering and it can be more complicated whereas paint is a simple fix for now. At least you can start there and see if it's something that you like and can, you know, live with and work with decor-wise and if not, then you can at least explore the future options. Okay. Great.
2: Did that help you out?
0: That helps me out a lot.
2: All right, good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at eight eighty eight Money Pit.
3: Well, when I was a kid, I was the snow thrower, but these days shoveling snow is a chore that Pretty much I would rather avoid, and I mean, it's not helping my allowance in any way for doing that job. You know what I'm saying?
2: You're not getting a raise, yeah. I guess both of us could use a machine that could tackle the job quickly without a ton of effort. In my case, my snow shelvers are all off to college, so they're not so interested in coming back just to help old dad, you know, dig out from the snowstorms. But you know, with so many mechanical snow removal machines on the market, it's kind of hard to figure out where to start. But the first thing you need to know is this, and that is the difference between a snow blower And a snow thrower, because people use these names sort of interchangeably, but they actually are technically two completely different machines, and it has to do with the way they work. Now, the snow machines come in several stages. A single-stage machine is called a thrower. And the reason it's called a thrower is because it picks up the snow and it sends it out a chute in one motion or sort of one stage. And with these machines, the auger actually connects with the ground and picks up the snow and lets it fly. The two-stage machine is technically a snow blower because it moves the snow twice. First, the auger scoops it up, and then a high-speed impeller throws it out through the discharge chute, and it can actually handle a lot more snow.
3: Yeah. So how do you know how to choose between the two options? Well, You've got to consider the area that's going to be cleared, the amount of snow, and the surface. Now, single-stage snow throwers are typically about 19 to 22 inches wide, but width is not as important as the height of these machines, which is limited. So the deeper the snow, the less effective it's going to be. Now, if you're frequently battling 12-inch snow drifts or more, you want to go with a two-stage snow blower instead. If you need to clear large, deep expanses of snow, like a big double-wide driveway, you're going to appreciate the wider and more powerful two-stage snow blower. Now, both are going to run on gas. There is, however, an electric version of the single-stage snow thrower, and that's good for smaller areas like decks and steps where a gas-powered machine simply isn't going to fit, and it's also good for climates where only a light occasional annual snowfall is expected.
2: And most important, guys, is safety. When you're using a snowblower, you got to watch out for those very powerful blades. They move at high speeds. Uh, these machines tend to get clogged, so you need to know that you never, ever, ever stick your hand in it to unclog it. I say that, and people are like, duh, of course, but believe me, people do it all the time. And they end up losing fingers. So if you have to clear out that area, turn off the engine and use a wooden stick to dislodge the clog, even if the machine is off those impellers and those augers can have some uh, tension in them and they could still move even if the machines off. So always use a wooden stick to dislodge any clogs.
3: Mona in Wyoming, you've got the money pit. How can we help you today?
1: I've got a garage that has a low spot in it up by the front tire and the snow all comes off of it and then sits there. It doesn't drain out and then it freezes and then I have a skating rink. Oh boy. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm just wondering if there's anything that, that I can use to either kind of fill in that hole and spread it out, you know, make it more level, or if I, what would happen if I drilled holes down through it?
2: Well, that was my first thought, Monet. If you were to fill this in, if I was to tell you how to fill this in, do you think that that would allow the water to drain out?
1: Probably not.
2: Okay, that's what I was afraid of. <laughs> Unless I
1: filled it, you know quite a bit and then sloped
2: it back. There is a way to do that. Um, there's, there are materials called patching compounds they are epoxy in nature, um, or they're made of other materials that are designed specifically to adhere to the old floor. And so one thing you could do would be to basically re-level the floor using an epoxy patching compound to smooth out those areas. Another idea that comes to mind is that there are a number of garage floors out there that are modular in nature uh, that can be assembled on top of the concrete and basically give you about an extra half inch of height. And the water, if it collects at all, would be kind of below that level. They're made to drain, they're perforated, they're durable, and they look pretty cool too. I'm thinking of one that uh, snaps together and looks like tiles uh, that can actually be quite a decor element as well and has more traction uh, than the concrete would itself.
1: And it would go over the low spot. and and still be level?
2: And you would put it over the entire floor. You know, you basically would redo the whole floor in the garage with this material.
1: And so what about drilling holes in it? Do you think then I may have more water come up through? That was my
2: concern. Probably not, because I think what will happen is it'll just clog up. I I don't think it's going to be effective. I mean, I guess it's possible you could put a drain in there if you really drilled a big hole, but uh, we don't know what we're going to run up against when you get through that concrete. No. Well, it's gravel underneath, but. Yeah, but it's a pretty big job. And, and if you were to drill it, I think you're probably just going to clog up. I don't think it would be an effective uh, drain unless you actually, you know, put a properly sized drain in there. And that's just a bigger project. I mean, I, if you think smoothing this out, that low spot's going to solve it, then I would just use a patching compound on it and, and try it. you got nothing to lose and see what happens. If you decide you don't like that, you can always go with the floor tile option after that.
1: You have a um, tile option, uh, a manufacturer that you would recommend for that?
2: Yeah, Home Depot has dozens of these garage floor tiles. And they're not going to have them in the store, but if you go to homedepot.com and just search garage floor tiles, you'll see what the options are. Lots and lots of options, and, and uh, you know some of them are quite attractive.
1: Okay. Well, I appreciate your help. Thank you very much.
2: Well, you're very welcome. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT.
1: Well, is your
3: electric bill giving you sticker shock? I mean, figuring out how to reverse that trend really starts with a solid understanding of where all of that power is going, especially because a good portion of that juice may be going to places that you're not even aware of. So to help, here are three areas where we see a lot of wasted energy. Now, first of all, I want to talk about vampire appliances. Now, that means that they're appliances that are always plugged in. And for some reason, they're always drawing energy, whether you're using them or not. So the solution here, guys, is to use a power strip. Now, you can switch that off when those appliances aren't being used, charged, whatever it might be, and then they will stop sucking all that extra energy away.
2: Yep. Next, let's talk about what we call the energy hogs. These are the big appliances. Dishwashers, clothes washers, clothes dryers have a pretty much insatiable appetite for electricity, and they can really drive your electricity bills way up. So a few things to think about. Run the dish and the clothes washers at full capacity only and select low heat for the dryer. And most importantly. Think about replacing those older appliances with ENERGY STAR models. These don't use ENERGY very efficiently as their newer counterparts, so those ENERGY STAR appliances are going to make a big difference.
3: Yeah, now let's talk about lights and ceiling fans. Now, when it comes to lighting, many people make the mistake of using lights to brighten the entire room. But efficient lighting only provides light to specific areas, such as your couch, a chair, a kitchen table, a workspace, a reading area, whatever it is. But you're focusing that light where you're going to use it. So the solution here is to use lighting only in rooms that you're in and for those specific purposes. Think of them as task lighting then go ahead and switch out those incandescent bulbs for leds the cost on these bulbs have come way down and they're going to last for a long time so it's definitely worth it And also for your lighting, you want to consider an occupancy or even a vacancy sensor switch. It's great if you've got kids who just walk out of a room with every light ablazing. I mean, it's going to sense that nobody's in that space anymore and then turn that light off. So excellent for basements, you know, a storage closet, the kids' rooms, wherever you're coming in and out of. And maybe you've got your hands full or, you know, those forgetful kids.
2: And that's today's smart spending tip presented by the Bank of America Cash Rewards Credit Card. You know, we're all shopping for essentials online these days. Why not get rewarded for it with the Bank of America Cash Rewards Credit Card? You can choose to earn 3% cash back on online shopping. Visit bankofamerica.com slash more rewarding to apply now.
3: Bill from New York posted a question, and he's asking, we're looking to purchase a home built in the mid-1980s. What are the biggest changes in construction and building codes from the 80s to today? Are there any drawbacks to houses built around this time period?
2: Hmm, that is a really good question. You know, no matter what decade you choose for a home, you're going to have some strengths and weaknesses of the types of components and stuff and structure that you're going to see there so for example if you have a house that's built in the 80s you know you may have some very old appliances you know typically a lifespan that can run from 15 to 20 years means you're going to be on your the end of your second water heater or your second heating system or or maybe your third air conditioner so uh, age of of appliances major appliances like that is an issue Uh, one feature That was popular in the 80s that uh, does not heat or cool very well as a cathedral ceiling uh, because there's not enough space to do a good job. You usually have a roof on one side, and then 8 inches or 10 inches later, you got the drywall on the other, so you can't get much insulation in there. So that's not a great feature of those. Oh, and here's one, speaking of roofs, that was introduced in around the 80s, and that was when roofing manufacturers changed from using a, like basically what was a cotton mat, asphalt shingle, where you had this cotton mat, they sprayed the asphalt on it, and that's what made the shingle, to a fiberglass shingle. It was a lot thinner, so they saved a lot of money on asphalt, but the problem was they started to crack a lot, so you got to look really carefully at those roofs to make sure that they are in good structural condition. Another issue with that time of year was the stucco, the synthetic stucco that came out, the EFS, which is the Exterior Insulated Finish Systems boy that uh, those houses were leaking from the on the drawing board. a friend of mine used to say, and he was absolutely right because they would get all sorts of leaks and then grow mold and, and and things like that so those are just top line some of the things you would be concerned about. your electrical systems are solid, you know your design of your cooling and heating systems are solid, but the age of appliances, age of cabinets that sort of wear and tear. Just get a really good professional home inspection before you buy that house and you 'll get a real good idea of, of what you're kind of up against and By the way, if you're wondering, how old is my house, I'll give you a home inspector's trick of the trade that we used to use. And that is, if it's got the original plumbing fixtures, which so many homes do, look on the bottom of them. You'll find it like on the underside of a toilet tank lid, underside of a sink. You'll find the date stamped right in there, and it'll tell you when that was manufactured. And you can guarantee, be sure, that it was installed you know, within several months of that date.
3: All right. Good tips. Now I've got one from Rosie in Alabama who writes, we're remodeling our laundry room, which is also our guest half bath. Is laminate flooring safe under a washing machine or is tile better?
2: Well, absolutely. There are water resistant laminates that are out there. Certainly you have tile and the other one is EVP engineered vinyl plank. I just redid a laundry room for my sister and I used uh, the EVP plank from lumber liquidators. And man, it came out great. Very easy to put down, very inexpensive, very affordable. It was less than two bucks a foot and it looks absolutely fantastic. So you have a lot of options in water resistant and waterproof flooring, including the EVP and the laminate floor. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. Hey, guys, thank you so much for spending this part of your day with us. We hope that you may have picked up some good ideas and tips to save some money around your house and fix it up, make it more comfortable, make it the space that you really want it to be, because we're all spending a lot of time at home, and we want to be there right with you, socially distanced, but virtually speaking, helping you take care of that place every step of the way. I'm Tom Kreitler.
3: And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. You live in a Money
1: Pit.